0: So um, if you have been uh, in the church for any length of time, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you you grew up in the church a long time ago, maybe you've never come to church before and you have really no expectations. Uh, But if you have been in church for a while, you know there's this kind of recent growing trend over the past 20, 30, 40 years Uh, where at this time of the year, when everyone has decided to come back after Christmas and everything's good to go, you, you went away for the holidays, you got your taste of snow somewhere where it actually snows, rather than just gets bitterly cold because of all the humidity here. You don't know why Fayetteville is like the coldest place on the planet, but it just is. It's all the humidity, right? But you've got that experience, you had your white Christmas, now you're back home, and there's this phenomenon of vision sermons that happen at this time of year. Now, I'm not here to bash vision sermons. I, I, I think that they're really good, but maybe you've heard a vision sermon like this before. Uh, you've heard the, the pastor speak about the vision and mission of the church, like us. Our vision is to be a church for the city, for the military, for the fame of Jesus. And then you've heard him say, this is our mission, to love God, love people, advance the gospel. That's the Great Commission, right? And then you've heard that guy go on like a tirade of, here are the thousand things we're going to do together in the next year. Like we're gonna plan a thousand churches and plan a, have a thousand community groups and we're gonna see a hundred people baptized next month, you know, and like you get all these things that sound like they're just incredibly high, lofty goals that like maybe a church could accomplish in its entire lifetime, all jam-packed into one little sermon. And that's the only time you really heard it talked about the whole year. let, let me just tell you, I think I'm guilty of preaching a sermon like that once or twice. I've been that guy and I'm here to repent, because that's, that's what we do here at church, right? We repent, and once we've admitted our problem, then we can move on from it and, and all of that. But no, maybe you've also been at another church, and some churches just baptize and bless just the status quo, and there's, there's no real sense of sacrifice and no real sense of hope in the future. The Churches are just kind of a, a way in which they decided to circle the wagons and just with the holy huddle and saying, like, yeah, we're going to Things are fine. We're just gonna wait this thing out till Jesus comes back because it seems like everything's going to hell on a handbag, anyways, right? So that's another way that churches can kind of get this wrong. See, I think at this time of the year, where most most of us in society, it's kind of a societal phenomenon at this type of year, time of year, we're breaking out the journal again. We're, We're we're rethinking. Our gym plans, we're, we're rethinking the way, about w- the way in which we want to embrace and go about life in, at the beginning of a new year. We tend to think of it associated with like a new start, a recalibration of sorts. And I think it's right and appropriate and good for us to say that as a church, we can lean into that and do the same. These times are for refocusing on who we are as a church, our mission, and aligning ourselves around our shared values, because our values is what's going to keep us and take us to the place that we are hoping Jesus wants to bring us to. So let's ask the question, the really simple question together. Maybe uh, like in Veritas Kids, as simple as we can think about it, why are we here right now? Maybe another question, what should we be doing right now? What should really we value to help us align us in whatever we think the answers to the first two questions are? See, the answer may seem unsurprising at first, but I don't think we dwell on just on how amazing and unlikely this reality actually is. Why are we here right now? We are here in this room, singing towards a wall, all the singing towards the same direction, listening to me talk right now, because a man, a Middle Eastern man, who claimed to be God, very God incarnate, He was crucified on a Roman cross. He was put in a grave, and he was buried, and he did the unfathomable. He resurrected from the dead. That man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, resurrected from the dead and then went to his followers, showing and proclaiming the good news of life eternal and everlasting, that sin and the power of death had been truly broken in what looked like apparent His defeat on a Roman cross. And that story and the power of that resurrection and those handful of people exploded into the global phenomenon that we know today as the Church of Christ. You are just one link in the chain among millions since that day, that early church that gathered in an upper room praying for the Spirit of God to fall upon them. And ever since then, normal, ordinary followers of Jesus have been telling other people and living lives radically transformed by the power of that gospel And that gospel, that good news of Jesus resurrecting from the dead in the context of ordinary followers of Jesus telling that good news and displaying that gospel change in their life has changed everything. And you're here because of that. Someone told your grandmother about Jesus. Maybe it was your grandmother who walked you through the Bible as a kid. Maybe it was a family friend who was faithful and generous and, and showed kindness to your family at some point. Or maybe it was to you. Maybe it was a, a co-worker. Maybe it was someone that you met at a coffee shop, reading their Bible or reading a book, and you became friends with that eventually introduced you to this good news about this Middle Eastern man who died for you in a desert almost 2,000 years ago. See, that story, the power of the gospel is why we are here. It's all rooted in that early church. That early church, you'd think, would have the most uh, defined and well-explained values, right? All the, the, most cl- the clearest vision statement, you know, all the things that we want to import from our Western culture back onto them. But no, the early church became extraordinary not because they set lofty goals, but because they saw all of their ordinary life as the place where God does his best work. The context of the every single day, in the changing of diapers, in the drive to work, in your time at the gym, in your, in your moments of quiet, in your moments of, of greatest anxiety, those moments are the places where God does his extraordinary work. So for us at Veritas, this morning, the best way to look at whether or not we are living into our vision mission is to look at what we value. Look at what we value. Because your values will be revealed in time and your values will determine where you're going to find yourself and what you're going to look like when you get there. Say, take two folks, uh, two different people. Uh, Maybe uh, the first person is trying to get a financial goal in 2023. Maybe that's you. You've already looked at the budget. You've done, you're a spreadsheet guy. You've you've cranked all the numbers and you know how you're gonna get that dollar amount in the savings account, right? And so there's one of two ways you can go about doing that. You can do that in honorable, just ways where you are still generous, living into what God has called you in generosity, or you can choose to be super miserly, you can be, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge about that thing and get those dollars into the bank account. And at the end of 2023, you're, you've got the same amount of money relatively in the bank account, but you're two different people. Your values will determine how you get there. Maybe it's a, a, a physical goal. Maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to get in shape in 2023. You know, new year, new me, Who this, you know, all that. You know, you got the fire on your Instagram post, all that, you know, with the sweat drips in the, in the gym and all that. Maybe that's you. There's different ways you can go about getting those gains. You can either kind of cheat your way there. You can do crash course diet stuff. You can try to lose everything in the first, you know, five seconds of January and, and really hate your life and then gain it all back by the end of the year. Or you, do, you take the slow approach. You, you take incremental change, you, you, you change your diet, you're willing to take sacrifices for the long run, for the betterment of your health, And it'll be harder. You'll, you'll have to have a different value system for that. See, si- similar results. Different people at the end of the day, different values. See, the best place, I think, for us to be able to see what the early church really valued and what it, where it really bubbles up to the surface most immediately is in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're going to quickly look at this passage of Scripture and then walk through our values together as a church. So if you've got a Bible, meet me there, Acts chapter 2. Acts is near the back end in the New Testament of your Bible on the right-hand side, um, or if you're looking up on your phone, it would be a lot easier than that. But, I, man, I just love uh, seeing God's Word in context. It even affects the way that I, I read, I think, and when I read a physical book. It literally sticks to your brain better. I think there's studies that say that out there somewhere, but I'll leave that out there to experts. Let's read these few verses together and see what the early church really valued um, in their infancy. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Word of God for us this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Just a few observations here. The first of, of which is you can see that their values just really bubble to the surface in this really short, compact section of Scripture. This, this passage of Scripture uh, happens a couple times in the book of Acts that, uh, that Luke, the writer, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke, this is like Luke part two. Uh, this is the Acts of God in and then through the apostles with the coming of the Spirit in, in this book called Acts. And these little sections like this happen every so often in the book of Acts, where it's this really condensed, just beautiful picture of what the early church uh, was doing at that time and what they were valuing and what that resulted in. And so what you can see them value on the surface here is uh, what we see as the apostles' teaching and the fellowship in verse 42. If you think of this being uh, devoted to something, if you're devoted to something, what does that really mean? It means that you're going to give in and of yourself to see that thing uh, obtained or, or, or flourish or whatever. You're going to be devoted to something, right? So if you're devoted to the Dallas Cowboys, first of all, you're having a good year. <laughs> no Cowboys fans here out here? None. Zero. My gosh who am I pastoring here? Who am I pastoring? So (laughs) if you have devoted yourself to something, it means that you're going to be for its flourishing. You're going to make sacrifices in order to see uh, that thing come about in your own life. Uh, Again, if you're a fan of something, you're going to buy the swag, right? And that stuff is expensive. If you're a fan of something, you're devoted to something, you're going to spend time in order to see that thing come about in your life. Being devoted here to the Word of God and to the fellowship meant this. The Word of God meant they were devoted to memorizing it. Because they didn't have the Bible app on their phone. They didn't have a daily, daily liturgical guide that they can just pull up on the internet somewhere and do at home. No. This was an embodied experience where they were gathering together in the temple. They were gathering together for worship. They, they, they really devoted themselves to the Word of God that when while the apostles were teaching from the word of God, they were devoted to memorizing the, the words of Jesus. At this time, they didn't have a New Testament to reference. At this time, they were passing along the stories of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. They were passing along the stories about Jesus and what he did on the cross and their eyewitness testimony to his death and resurrection from the grave. They were devoted to the word of God. They were also devoted to the church of God. Like, they didn't treat Sunday gatherings as something optional that could just get displaced by something else, like a football game. Like, they were devoted so much to this that it, they, it, the word used to describe it is devotion here. This was central to their identity. They were also devoted and valued the breaking of bread and prayers. If you want to think of the term breaking of bread, breaking of bread is like authentic community. Think eating a meal around the family dinner table. This is depth of relationship. At this point in history, you would not eat a meal with someone that you weren't willing to be associated with. Now, I know you're probably going to go to somewhere after this and eat a meal at a restaurant or eat a meal that maybe has a communal table or something like that. That just didn't happen at this point in history. You ate with people whom you were close with. Those people, your, the, your associates, those people had influence in your life. And this breaking of bread in the early church showed that they were devoted to authentic and deep, real community with one another. Also, it says that they were devoted to prayer. Think authentic worship here, because you can't get more authentic in worship than devoted prayer to God. If you think about it, prayer itself is just a, the greatest exercise in dependence on God that you could imagine. Prayer is literally saying, I need, practicing, uh, fighting against this internal desire to make yourself, trust yourself, or uh, make something happen in and of your own power. Prayer is the exact opposite. Prayer is the most unproductive thing that a person who's obsessed with productivity can do. Yet, In the great inversion of all of it, spiritually, prayer is the most productive thing that you could do for yourself in your devotion to Jesus. And I think that's why most of us neglect it, because we're addicted to productivity. We're addicted to just getting the next thing done, the checks off the box. And what prayer makes us do is worship authentically Jesus. Because in prayer, it's the only place that you come to God with everything you got. You can come to God with your, your deepest sorrows, your greatest highs, your greatest lows, whatever you've got. You bring those things before God, and there's nothing more humbling than us in those moments because we realize who we really are in light of this God. We are dependent. Church also valued um, each other deeply in this early church. These verses detail that the early church had this radical equality among the people in the church, this radical generosity among the people in the church, so much so that people that had need, those needs were met, and that meant that other people were willing to meet those needs. They saw those needs as their own needs. That's a radical equality within that gathered church there. There was a radical generosity. People were selling their possessions, selling all they had, and having all things in common, which makes all of us kind of itch a little. Every single one of us are more materialistic than we ever dared want to think we are, right? There's no chance I'm going home and selling my house today and just giving it away to the poor. Like, it, I just, I'm too materialistic. That's just a thing. That's, that's a thing for me. I don't think it'd be wise either. But still, the thought of it makes us itch. It's, it's, it shows our addiction to our materialism as well. But this radical generosity and equality marked this early church, and it was showed in what they valued. So what happened at the end of this passage? How are we told this one little snapshot? What did it equate to? It says in verse 47, "...and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved." For those of us that have heard the vision sermons and we've, we've heard all of the, the stats and, you know, here's what we're going to do in the year ahead, it's easy for us in moments like this to think, man, that's what we want. We want to see people added day by day to those who are saved. And so in order to achieve those means of people getting saved, what do we do? <laughs> we, we, we run after the, the, the latest trend. We run after this, the latest, okay, It's it's kind of like a get-rich-quick scheme or something like that. But we're trying to find a secret sauce in order to bypass ordinary faithfulness. Bypass ordinary, everyday faithfulness to Jesus to just get results of of butts and seats and people being baptized. There's no way around it, folks. Those of us that want to see that our hearts break for the city of Fayetteville... That, that, that people would be saved and people would be brought into this church family and sent out to plant churches that are, just have their affections rooted in Jesus and saved from all the cares and worries and sin of the world. We want that. We cannot bypass the ordinary faithfulness that this early church represents for us. We must value what they value. We must see all of our ordinary life as the place where God does his best work. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. So let's take a quick look at what we state as a church is what we value. This will come up on the screens for us. We have five core values as a church. If you're a partner here, you've heard these before. You've seen these before. They're in their partnership class handbook. Uh, They're up on our website. They're all over the place. Um, But those five things, if you're new to Veritas, are this. And as a refresher for most of us, I'm sure. Truth, worship, community, leadership development, and mission. Let's walk through those. First, we value truth here at Veritas. In particular, the truth of God's words. And because through God's word is how we primarily meet the person and work of Jesus. We meet God in and through his word. He has revealed himself through these pages. And yes, it's just ink on paper. But through the spirit of God giving us eyes to see every time we approach these scriptures... God wants to commune with us. He wants to meet with us. And so we value truth because Jesus said that the truth, his followers would know the truth and the truth would set them free. And in John 14, Jesus makes it abundantly clear and claims that he is the embodiment of the truth. He's the truth, the way, and the life. And Veritas is going to be all about the truth of Jesus because he is the only way to real life. Like 1 Timothy 3 would say, we believe we are a pillar and buttress of the truth. And by pillar, we mean we stand on the foundation of the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus. We are also a buttress. You ever seen a buttress, the thing that like holds up those bust, a bust of some famous dude's head, right? Or like the, it holds up a, the top of a temple thing, a mount or whatever. What we're doing is putting the gospel on display. We're just the thing in the middle. We're not important. Like, we're putting the gospel on display while also standing on the truth of the gospel. I know it sounds a little paradoxical, but go with me. I didn't write that. Paul did, right? He gets the stay, and I don't, right? He gets the stay in the scriptures. It's just my opinion on it. It's not confusing to God. It's just confusing to me, I guess. We are pillar and buttress of the truth, and we put the truth above all else in this church. And what that's going to mean is we put the truth about God before anything else in the in the winds and waves of all the cultural dialogue about everything from the political spectrum to everything else, it's easy for thoughts about God to shift and change over time. But we as a church want to root ourselves in the historic orthodoxy that the church has been proclaiming consistently for the past two thousand years in the truth of Jesus. That's why this morning we confessed our faith together through the Apostles' Creed. One of the first founding documents that the church put together, not as Scripture itself, but as having this sense of, like, this speaks the truth of the gospel and what the church is and who God is with such clarity that we should uh, use these words in order to worship. And that leads into the second thing. We value worship here. We all worship something. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe just testing these claims about Christianity and Jesus and all the, all the rest this morning, uh, but you, you've got to level with me. We all worship something, and if you think you don't, just go look at your bank account, okay? We all worship something. We give our time, our attention, our resources, and our energies to something. We believe uh, that there's nothing more worthy of our lives as followers of Jesus than the passionate worship of God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, So we see our role as a church in gathering together like this for worship and engaging to equip you to worship God in all of your life. Romans chapter 12 would say that all of your life, every bit of your life, you should be presented to God as your spiritual worship before God. There it is again. The ordinary, mundane, average Tuesday afternoon is it's Jesus's. He owns. He wants your Tuesday afternoon, not just your Sunday morning, like every bit of your life, not just your, what you call your spiritual life, because all of it's spiritual, your emotional life, your physical life, what you do with your hands, what you do with your heart, and what you do with your head. Jesus wants all of it in your worship and devotion to him. And most of the time, it's going to look pretty boring from an outsider's perspective, like, how many mountaintop experiences have you had in your life? What, a couple? That's why they're called mountaintop experiences, not called tomorrow, you know? Last Tuesday. Like, if every day was a mountaintop experience, none of them would be, okay? We give all of our life, and we believe that we foster this worship by this corporate gathering. And we really do believe that this is super important in the, in the life of a follower of Jesus. Like, embodied worship among the people of God. And yes, I get there will be times and complications and travel, and we're a military context. So some of you guys, faithfulness for you will be showing up on the weekends that you're not like in the field or going through the course. And that's cool. We get that. We're for you. We just want to know that so we can pray for you and be with you. We want to partner you with other guys that can encourage you. And when you can only get letters wherever you're at, you're getting one, man, saying like, We are praying for your steadfast hope, rock-solid, firm affirmation of your following Jesus and, and saying no to sin and yes to Jesus in whatever season that you're in. We want that for you. See, when we gather like this every week, we gather to celebrate the gospel through very simple means, through preaching, through singing, through celebrating baptism, through communion, and the giving of offerings to support God's work here at Veritas. That leads us to the third thing, community. We value community here. We are created for community. Therefore, we intentionally gather in authentic community at Veritas. The primary way we do this is community groups. And the way we've said this historically in the church is we gather like this together as a church, and we scatter into the community in, in, primarily through community groups during the week. So we are a people who want to be transparent, to to learn together, to celebrate together, who walk through life's trials and sufferings together, and who are on mission together. We want to do that together as a church body. But it really does take a willingness to be a a little bit vulnerable to step into a community like that. Uh, We are striving to make our community groups a place that is more approachable for you, So here in the next couple weeks, we're going to be telling you about ways that you can get involved with a community group when they launch in February. We're making that process as easily as we possibly can and opening up more options as far as times and dates and flexibility for your schedule, because I get it. I'm a parent of young kids. It's hard to carve out time in the middle of the week for something like that. It's hard to try to help chip in with child care for an event like that. But we want to help you live authentic community with one another. Fourth leadership development. We've already gone over this kind of uh, pretty and shown that we value this because we've already put forward three men this morning who are uh, hopefully going to be elders here in this church. we believe that this explosive growth that was described in the New Testament happened by the power of the Spirit, but then also because of intentional leadership development. You can see it in Jesus investing in a few men, having the 12 that he invested in regularly, and then also teaching the crowds like this in a a broader context all the time. That's why we're going to have not not only a pastoral preparation cohort that's going to go for the span of this year and continue every year after that, if the Lord wills, we're also launching a theological development cohort this year, where if you feel kind of wobbly on your theological legs, and you're like, I want to know why I believe what I believe, not just that I can just recite it out loud, this is for you. We're going to read some really thick, Books, we're going to dig deep roots in theology and really show and raise up leaders who can passionately uh, preach the gospel in their unique context, having been equipped with the theological truths of God. And finally, that really is what we want. We want equipped men and women on mission here in Fayetteville to be a people on mission. See, God's mission is to reconcile all things to Himself through Jesus. And he has chosen the most unlikely means by which to do that. You know, Jesus could have just stayed here on planet Earth. He could have played like Captain Planet and then just absolutely, it was piece by piece or maybe just snapped his fingers and the whole Earth would have believed in the good news of the gospel and everything would have been transformed into the new heavens and new Earth. But God didn't choose to do that. God didn't choose those means. You know who he choose, chose? He chose you. He chose you to be the means of the advancement of the gospel. Little all you, with your career field, no seminary degree, or maybe a couple of us have a seminary degree in here, very little training, what do you you have? You have the Spirit of God coming to live inside of you. You've been equipped with the greatest tool imaginable. And God, it's it's an absolute... uh, Befuddling thing to think that God would use us for such an important mission, to use us to advance the good news of the gospel. But we are it. And we accomplish this primarily as a church by equipping and planting and sending people who are on mission here in Fayetteville and the partners that we send off to other places to be life giving partners elsewhere when they PCS or leave or there's a job change and any of that. Last year, Uh, At the beginning of 2022, uh, we shared a vision for the year that simply stated that we wanted to grow together in relational ownership. And in many ways, I feel like God accomplished more than we ever could think in that. We've seen ways in which families have really partnered together with one another, sank deep roots relationally with one another. And there's signs that we're growing in that together. But I would say, without these values as guardrails for us, If we just have a value like relational ownership without being constrained by these church-wide values that kind of hold us together, we'll just live into whatever reality that we want. And it'll take on whatever expressions that we want. But we want to see healthy growth together as a church into whatever God has for it. To be a church, it really is for the city, for the military, and for the fame of Jesus, seeing people love God, love people, and advance the gospel. And I'm sure you're sick of me saying that. But again, Me saying this out loud right now, if you're sick of hearing me hear it, that means there's someone next to you that's hearing it probably for the first time, that we really do value this, that we really want to see Jesus do this. See, the danger of any type of vision sermon like this is that we're trying to avoid the the fact that you can make disciples of of literally anything. You can make disciples of, of brands, You can make a disciple of of corporations. You can even make disciples of people or yourself. We as a church, we, we don't have a brand. If we do, our brand is Jesus. And our values help us make disciples of Jesus and not ourselves. See, the gospel is shown when we orient our lives around a way of life that's marked by belief in the gospel and a belief That it's in the normal, ordinary stuff of life that Jesus is going to meet us and do the extraordinary. Let me pray that that's so. Lord Jesus, I pray that the simple gospel that we believe and that we have confessed, that you, Jesus, um, born for us, died for our sin and we're resurrected to new life, God, I pray that that simple truth of the gospel would be transformative in us. God, that we would remember that Like it was because you loved the world that you gave your only son, that whoever would believe in him would be saved and be granted eternal life. And God, it wasn't that You came into the world to condemn the world. You came so that the world might be saved through you and through the person and work of Jesus. God, I pray that over the course of this next year, the next year, the next year, and all the things that follow that, um, we would remember, celebrate, um, and live into what you have called us to. Faith in you. And God, that our values as a church would allow us to be able to grow together into um, a church that really does love you, uh, loves others, and advances the gospel. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.